Take your uh, Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to focus just on two verses, okay? Just on two verses. So surely you'll get out early. Um, you know, I, I asked the question as I was really reviewing this passage, looking at it. I asked this question that I've given you, and that is, I can work out my salvation. I mean, really, when you read through this, it seems so foreign to our idea that of, of salvation and what really happens in our lives. It, it's strange type of language, especially from Paul. When you think about Paul and his concept of salvation, his concept of, of God himself, to hear him write, especially verse 12, it may give us pause, but hopefully only for a moment until we get to verse 13. I want to connect those two for us tonight, and I want to talk to you about the work of salvation and how Paul challenges the Philippians as they live out salvation in their lives. Notice verse 12 again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So here Paul is again writing to the Philippian believers. He says, therefore, that is based upon Christ's example of humility. If you go back and look at those previous verses, he basically says, based upon Christ's example of humility, how he gave himself up freely for us, and how now we are able to celebrate the eternal lordship of Jesus Christ as the ruling king. He says, based upon these things, he said, now I am going to encourage you to work out your own salvation. So think about it this way. First of all, he says, we work out. Now, that can cause some issues for us just to think about working out. I'm talking about on the physical side, right? I love some of you folks who come in and you, you come in very early in the morning to work out in uh, our gym or so in the back. I, I'm grateful for you. I, I'm especially grateful for you when you bring donuts uh, to the workout. You know, for some of us, this idea of working out in and of itself kind of doesn't appeal to us. But especially when we get to salvation. Because here he says, I mean, very clearly... Work out your own salvation. And he's speaking to individuals. The verb work is in the plural. All of you, every one of you individuals, work out your own salvation. It suggests some type of linear action that it continues. And it is in the present tense in the sense that it says, Go on continually working out your salvation. Again, that offends most of us when we think about our upbringing and when we consider the Pauline corpus, the rest of the Pauline writing. It offends us because when I flip back, let's say to Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians was written about the same time as the book of Philippians. They share this common theme of being captivity epistles. 
And here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul had said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We read those verses written again about the same time, and then we try to reconcile verse 12, the idea that we're working out our own salvation. It seems like it is difficult or futile to be able to reconcile the two. They seem so contradictory. But let me say to you, God's word is never contradictory. Paul is never contradictory. We have to consider this verse in the context of all of the scripture, in all of Paul's writing, and even in the rest of the book of Philippians, as we'll look at verse 13 in a moment. So looking at it in that context, what does this mean about working out your own salvation, that you go on working it out? Well, it does suggest human responsibility, that we are given a responsibility by God to continue to obey, continue to work as he has called us, as he has guided us. I think also it speaks here to the sanctifying work of God in our lives, that somehow we continue in the salvation of God and we grow in him, that we grow in holiness. I think I just heard a good preacher speak about that. I didn't say great. I said good. That we are to grow in holiness. This idea of working out salvation, from what I understand, as I look at it here in verse 12, it speaks to our sanctification. It speaks to how we are obeying Christ and following him. That this is a part of salvation itself. Especially when you think of the, the overall scope of salvation. Ben, I was thinking about this when I was working through and, and considering our trip to, to obviously India just a few weeks ago or South Asia. And um, one of the things we did in South Asia was uh, train some pastors. And what we would do is we would take the Baptist faith and message, the article on salvation, and we would develop that article for them, help them understand the whole work of salvation, and then hopefully they could put it in their own words and bring it back to us. They could express the whole work of salvation. In particular, what we were supposed to do was speak about the areas of justification, sanctification, and glorification. To see salvation in this holistic way. We're justified, for example. What happens when we're justified? That means we are declared righteous before a holy God. That happens in a singular moment. When we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, we are declared righteous. We are justified. It's as though we are standing before a judge, and that judge, the holy God that we serve, declares us innocent. Not based upon our own merit or the merit of our own case, but based upon the righteousness of Christ. It's a glorious moment. Those of us who've been justified, we know what it's like to have life and forgiveness. It's tremendous. It's incredible for us to experience. But that is not the whole of the salvation picture. I mean, don't get me wrong. My eternal life has been granted to me and, and eternal life is eternal. So in other words, I got it from here out. Nothing's going to change it. Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God. But 
in some sense, when we talk about sanctification, we talk about this idea of working it out. What God is doing or what he is working in our life is this growth, this growth in holiness that we are developing each day. We're being sanctified. As I suggested this morning, none of of us are perfect, but we're all on a journey. And hopefully, we are growing in Him. If we are living organisms, we ought to be growing each day. And then that third component of salvation, as you think about it holistically, is glorification. Glorification. When does that occur? That occurs ultimately when Jesus Christ returns. Now, when I die, my body may be placed in the ground. My spirit goes to be with the Lord at that very moment. But one day when Jesus Christ comes, then even my body will live. I will have a glorified body. In some sense, that is the culmination of salvation. So, as I've suggested before, using the words of Herschel Hobbes, I can tell people that I'm say I have been saved. I was saved, past tense. Let's use that. I am being saved. That means right now in the present tense, God is saving me through sanctification. He's working in my life. And one of these days, I will be saved. Because ultimately, when Christ Jesus comes again, he will demonstrate his power once again over death, hell, and the grave, just as he did before, by bringing my body to a resurrected state and giving me this glorification. Salvation is looked at, I think, appropriately across all of those aspects, those stages, justification, sanctification, glorification. So when I'm listening here to what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, hey, you're right now in the moment of sanctification. You ought to be producing. You ought to be growing. You ought to allow, you ought to allow his testimony to show forth. Work out your own salvation. Grow through obedience. And notice particularly in verse 12, he speaks about his relationship with the church at Philippi. Remember, he had founded this church as well. He had been a church planner. He had been there to Philippi. He had gone down to the river. And the ladies had, uh, had certainly responded. Lydia in particular had responded to the gospel. We know that the, the tormented young girl responded to the gospel, was saved. The demon was cast out because of Paul and even the Philippian jailer. So in other words, there were all these converts that had come together in the church. And he loved them, and he had had a presence with them. That is, he was their founding pastor. But notice what he says to them. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. So he says, I know that I've had a love for you and I know that I've been involved in your life and I know that you respect me and trust me and that's a great thing. But your sanctification and obedience should not be based upon me, Paul. It should not be based upon my physical presence. He says, whether I'm there or I'm not. Some of you this morning in Sunday school studied a little bit about the coming of Jesus again think some of you did maybe 
About two of you? Yes? The two that are awake still? You're with me and that's what you see. Some of you know that there is a word, parousia, that speaks about the coming of Jesus. That's actually the word that is used here to speak about the presence or the coming of Paul. He says, whether I'm there, I'm alongside. That's literally what it means, the coming alongside. Or I'm away, aposia, which is very similar if you hear, absent. So he uses this kind of, I won't say poetry, but some very similar language. Say, whether I'm coming or I'm going, whether I'm there or I'm not there, it really doesn't matter. You ought to obey. And I shared this a few weeks ago uh, about how oftentimes uh, certain presence of certain people uh, can motivate us to obedience, right? I was hearing somebody say this morning about going to a certain place and, and they talked about how the pastor always came in. Always came in when they went to this certain place. I started to say, well, that might be conviction. You know, God might be working in certain ways. I think I shared with you specifically about how I had a guy in, in Pine Grove that was from the holiness tradition. And they talk, he told me about the preacher coming to visit their family. And when their preacher would come to, out to visit, they would see the preacher's car coming down the drive and they would run and they would take the television and they would put it in the closet and they would shut it up. They, he said they had to get, they had to get creative sometime to beat that preacher down the, down the drive, but they had to do it because he was coming. They were concerned about it. I always told Todd, I said, Todd, you don't think they noticed that there was something that was missing over in the corner? He said, I don't know what he thought. All I know is mama said we had to get this TV into the closet with the preacher coming. You know, sometimes people's presence can impact maybe our obedience. And what Paul says is I don't care if I'm there or not. I don't care if I'm having to encourage you or challenge you. What you need to know is that you for yourself, you need to work out your salvation. You need to be obedient. It's not based upon me. Listen. Your obedience and my obedience should not be based upon other people. If God calls us to certain things, we should obey no matter what. We should seek Him. We should work out. Our dependency should be upon Him. When I got ready to leave Zachary, I I talked to, of course, different friends and one of my friends came to me at the end and he said, Reggie, I think this, this is a good thing. I think God's calling you, calling you to leave. I said, well, thank you, bro. You trying to get rid of me or what? He said, well, kind of, but I'm just telling you, I think this is right. And I said, what do you mean by that? Why would you say that? He said something to me and I've kind of held private and He looked at me and he said, Reggie, I think we're more dependent upon you than we are Christ. And I said, what? He said, I'm telling you, bro. He said, I think we come to you. I think we let you do certain things. and We talk to you. And while we love you and while we are great about what's happened here, I think we're more dependent upon you than we are Christ. And I'm going to tell you it's stung. 
Because the one thing that I would never want people to do is become so dependent upon me. Because I want to tell you, I'll fail you. I can't always come up with the right answers. I can't always be able to, to take all these things and examine them and give you the answer that you necessarily need. I want to help you. I, I, I pray. Nobody should ever take, listen to me, nobody should ever take the place of Christ in your life or in mine. No matter. I don't care if it's a preacher, Sunday school teacher, deacon, whoever else. There is only one place of priority. And that place should be reserved for Jesus Christ. So no matter where we are, who, who's around us or what's happening, Paul says, you need to work out your own salvation. You need to go through this process of growth. You need to give yourself to following Christ. Notice he uses this terminology in fear and trembling. That you stand in awe of a holy God. And that inspires you to obey. Blake's here tonight. Some of the guys that I meet with on Wednesday night this last week. I talked to them about some of the attributes of God. Um, specifically about the transcendence of God versus the eminence of God. And how we serve a God that is totally transcendent. That means that he is unlike us. He is not just the highest human. He is God. He, he is not just somebody that's attained perfection. He has always had perfection. He is eternal. He is great. He is, he is the Isaiah 6 king who sits upon the throne. And all beings come around him to worship him. I am so grateful that we do sing songs, rightly so, like in the garden, that speak about the eminence of walking with him and talking with him. I, I'm thankful for that. Don't miss that. God is eminent. But you and I should never forget that our God is so much farther above what we could ever comprehend. That he is a God who sits on the, on the throne above. That he is the universe's creator and he is the universe's sustainer. And because of that... We come before a holy presence and we come before him with a state of awe, fear, and trembling in an appropriate way, reverence that produces within us a sense of obedience to work out our salvation. We work out and listen, he works in. That's basically the message here. We work out, but he is the one who works in. He works in us to accomplish his will. Notice verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul says in verse 12, to do it. Verse 13, he says... But God does it. Not contradictory. Complimentary. You do it. But God himself does it. You work out. But don't forget God works in. In other words, you're about obedience. And you're about producing the fruit of the spirit. You hope and pray that. But it's not just you and your own effort. And in your own strength. 
God is the one who works in you. Because you and I could not attain sanctification on our own. We need to be reminded of that. Listen, just as you and I could not attain justification on our own, just as you and I cannot attain glorification on our own, you and I cannot attain sanctification on our own. We can't. See, most of us in here would say, no, we know that Jesus saved us and justified us, and that was the only way that could happen. We also know that, yes, Jesus is going to glorify us one day. It's the only way it could happen, through Jesus. But sometimes we live as if we can do this sanctification thing on our own, through our own efforts. We take verse 12, work out our own salvation, and we just say, we just got to get to work. But you and I cannot achieve sanctification, our growth, our growth and holiness on our own. That's the reason Jesus prayed for us. Like I said this morning, John 17, the longest extended prayer of Jesus recorded during his earthly ministry. What did he say? Sanctify them by the truth. God, I need you. God, Father, speak, sanctify them, work in them through the truth. You and I are dependent upon him to produce fruit. John says it this way, that we are to abide in him. You and I can never achieve anything unless we, are, unless we are connected to the true power source. Right? The other day I was giving the example of lights and whether or not they worked. And again, they're working this Sunday. Praise be to the Lord. I know it's not a big day about worried, worrying about the air condition. But I'm still proud the air conditioning is working. But those things in of themselves don't work on their own. There's got to be a power supply. A few weeks ago, I came up here. I was actually coming to the church and I was getting on Tech Drive. And the um, traffic light, stoplight, it was out. And you want to talk about some people in a hurry? You want to talk about a dangerous situation? I was praying to myself, where are those guys that direct us on Sunday morning? I've got to call one of them. It was horrible. I, couldn't, I finally got through. I didn't know what was happening. I got up here. I came to the door. Uh, my little fob wouldn't work to get in. I used my key. And here, some of the office staff just sitting out in the front. I was like, what is going on? The power's out. Power's out. You can't even see in some of these offices without the power. It was hard to see in some of the halls coming through. It just, it was out. I mean, it shut down a lot there for a while. I was thinking to myself, is this turkey season? No, I wasn't. Just messing with you. Don't go off and try to call a personnel committee meeting now. Or no, no, I did not say that. Did not mean that. But we couldn't do anything. I mean, the power was gone. I could have gone up and tried to manufacture something. Lloyd was doing his best to talk to people and see what was happening. Well, I mean, we, we could have. But until somebody else that had some expertise and somebody that had the actual ability could come and make sure that power was on, there's nothing else we could do. 
And see, you and I, we try to produce our own fruit. We try to obey on our own. And I'm just going to tell you, you can't do it on your own. That's the reason God didn't leave you by yourself. God God didn't leave you. Jesus, when he came, he said, actually, when he was ascending, he said it it was more advantageous for him to leave. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was going to come, this comforter. And that Holy Spirit was going to reside within you and that Holy Spirit was going to give you the power to do what you needed because it is God who works in you to achieve his purpose and his plan. You can't do it on your own. We are to obey. We're to make that decision in our hearts and lives. And yes, I believe that there is this cooperating faith sovereignty of God. I believe that as you look at this, you see faith as the cooperating vehicle with God himself. I believe that. But it must be God who ultimately works in you to produce the good works. And notice verse 13 again, he works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Why do you and I exist? Well, certainly because God loves us. God has a relationship with us. Ultimately, the reason we exist is to glorify Him. You put it very simply, that is what He has called all creation to do. To glorify Him. And we as individuals, we as believers, we are called to work for His purpose, for His goodwill, for His pleasure. He is the only deserving king that we have. He is the only one that's worthy. And he has called us to work for his glory. I say again, when the power is on and the lights are doing what they should be doing, the air conditioning is doing what it should be doing, then we are thankful, we are grateful because they are fulfilling their purpose. When God saves us and speaks into our lives, when he grows us, when he works with us, and we're obeying, then we're doing what we're called to do. And ultimately, we bring glory to the Father, our Maker above. When what he has created, and that's all of us, do what we were created to do, then we bring glory to him and his name. I say to you, work out as he works in. That's the only way we'll see the fruit, the obedience, the true salvation experience of sanctification. That's the only way we'll see the glory that he deserves in our lives. Let's pray. Father, Thank you again for this passage. Thank you for allowing us to wrestle with it for a few moments and or just to be challenged by it. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray, yes, Lord, we would respond in faith and obedience. And, Lord, we would accept you just as you are, the true Lord of our lives. But, God, may we not do it on our own. May we recognize that you are the one who works in us to produce all good works, to produce the fruit, 
to produce obedience itself. May we be faithful. May we be empowered so that we might bring you the glory that you alone deserve. We pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?